Today's episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Italy. Go to Italy. It's a peaceful country. Nothing ever happens there. Hello everyone, my name is Chris, and this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the filthy, rotting, maggot-infested corpse that they are. This episode, we are talking about Dario Argento's The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and 2009's The House of the Devil. House of the Devil? Am I saying that right? Yes. I don't know. I haven't seen it. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Kelsey? Yes. What's up with Bird with the Crystal Plumage? What do you know about it? What did I know about it before? Before you saw it? Yeah. (laughs) Before I saw it, all I knew was that it was a Dario Argento movie. And I've seen a couple. Not Mm -hmm. a lot, but I've seen a couple of Dario Argento movies. Most notably Suspiria. Yes. Mm -hmm. And opera. And opera. Okay, yeah. And this was not what I was expecting because I had an idea of what Dario Argento did. And this was not that. (laughs) So... (laughs) This is uh, Dario Argento's first major directing credit. Before we we actually watch the movie, I just want to talk about this a little bit. It's also credited as being maybe not the first, but the movie that made the Jalo subgenre of horror famous, which was really really popular in the early seventies. It's an Italian subgenre, like I thought you pronounced that totally differently. Jalo. I did not think that was how you did it. Yeah. Jolly is the uh, so it's a G, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was, but it makes Gallo. like a it makes like a G- <laughs> DJ sound. Jolly. I get it. I just I thought it was Gallo <laughs> all this time. So the Jalo or Jolly, if you want to do it the the plural uh, style, is a su- Italian subgenre of horror, much like the spaghetti western from the western. It's it's more like a thriller horror that focuses on. Uh, psychology and mystery elements. Usually it's like a crime fiction kind of thing. And it refers to the yellow covers. Giallo means yellow in Italian. It refers to the yellow covers of these crime novels that were very popular. So this is like the first movie really that made the Giallo subgenre really popular. Much like Halloween, which we recently reviewed, made the slasher subgenre really popular. So mm-hmm. I was really excited about this one. So we're, well, we've already watched it. So we're going to give you a chance to watch it now. So go ahead and uh, pause the podcast, watch it. It's not too long and you can get it for free on YouTube. But I didn't tell you that. There is a really good Blu-ray transfer that just came out recently. Uh, maybe you want to get your hands on that. So go ahead and watch it. And we, when we come back, we will talk about 1970s The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Footsteps on the stairs. A shadow under the door. A reflection from a knife. And all the screaming in the world won't help. In the Hitchcock tradition, the bird with the crystal plumage. If you think you are being followed home from this movie, keep telling yourself it's all in your mind. From UMC. All right, Kelsey. Yes. You want to tell me what the bird with the crystal plumage was about? A quick synopsis. A guy in Italy who's from the United States 
He's a writer. Witnesses. An attempted murder. A knife fight. Mm-hmm. Inside a museum. Mm-hmm. And he tries to save the girl, but he's not able to get in. And then he is taken in for questioning because, according to his own statement, there's something that he can't put his finger on. And because of that, the cops try to keep him in Italy. He wants to go back to the U.S. And then he becomes obsessed with finding the killer. Yes. So, what do you want to talk about first, about Bird with the Crystal Plumage? Well, I gotta say, it was a little boring. Really? You think so? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It was a little boring. Kelsey. Yeah. What makes you say that? I mean, it's it's not it's not horror in the typical sense. It is scary. There is a murderer running around and everything. Right. But for them, it's a most crime part, thriller. It's really, more of a crime thriller. And but it's it, like it's like a, the slasher subgenre to Italy, basically. Kind of, but people keep getting attacked. Yeah, every attack is very quick, very short. Like it mostly focuses on him trying to find the killer. Yeah. But then he keeps getting attacked. Yes, he ends up getting targeted because he's following and trying to find the killer. And so the killer only kills young women, young pretty women. And his girlfriend happens to be a model. So uh-huh. um, her life comes into danger because of his obsession with finding the killer. And the girlfriend desperately wants him to stop. Not because her life is in danger, just because... She feels ignored and want, and wants him around more often, but he's obsessed with finding this killer, and it just, it was just kind of, okay. Okay, that's going to lead me to an interesting place here. What did you think of the music? I didn't even notice the music. Yes, you did. You absolutely did, because you commented on it while we were watching it. Did I? With the la-la-las. <laughs> God, okay, so here's the thing. You are allowed to have little kids singing music. It can be creepy if it's done well. It's, I mean, in Rosemary's Baby, she sings la, 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 or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but, and that's creepy, and it's used in Poltergeist, and it's creepy, and it's used in a bunch of movies. In this movie, it was just well, really awkward, and it felt things. very sexual and very... Well, it's a very sexual film. You could make that argument, but I disagree. It, it It's funny you say that, because this is kind of a, a 60s movie, even though it was released in 1970. It's basically it's still a 60s film. Yep. But the soundtrack was written by Ennio Morricone, who, who did... All the really popular spaghetti westerns, including the Man with No Name trilogy. He's famous for the ah, wah, wah, wah. Uh, and that's just like the ah is just like a dude screaming, you know, just like this has a lot of la la la's in it. So I think you're gonna have some people very upset with you, Kelsey, bad mouthing Ennio Morricone and Dario Argento in the same episode. I will say I really, really liked the jazzy drums from the, the, the chase scene with the gunman.
it was predominantly just like a jazzy drum beat that like kept the tempo really high and kept the tension really high and kept your heart beating. I thought it did a very good job of that. You want to know something crazy? I no. had completely forgotten about the music. I I mean, I, I forgot a lot of this movie. Like, that's... This movie is forgettable. This movie is boring. Jesus. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It does... It does things really beautifully, I would say. There are certain techniques that are used to great effect. Oh, absolutely. Dario Argento is a great filmmaker. And like I said, I'm a huge fan of opera and a huge fan of Suspiria. Suspiria was so good. Yeah. This movie just didn't keep my interest. It was just another crime thriller and i was expecting a horror movie ah that's a that's a real big bummer yeah well for instance i will say during the initial attack he's trapped in the vestibule at this art gallery where there's glass on both sides and he sees a woman get stabbed by a man in a black coat and hat and gloves who runs away jumping off the stairs and running away that was pretty neat and then she's just on the floor writhing and he can't do anything about it and i thought they did really neat stuff with the sound i actually did think that was a tragic moment and i was like oh my god they really pulled me in totally because it's it takes forever it is a very long scene and you see every moment of that until the police finally let him out and it's very very good until you find out oh she's fine i was sitting there the whole time like well she has to be fine like yes i understand (laughs) but i was just sitting there the whole time like oh my god like watching this woman die and not being able to help her and that's all he wants to do wow this movie's gonna pull me in this is a good movie and then oh she's gonna be fine just scratch yeah it was really off like yeah oh she'll be fine it's like no they should have just we'll take her to the hospital and she's in critical condition and then you find out she survives like i feel like that probably could have been a little bit better uh written but it also made things really silent, where the movie just went silent. And when you're on his side, you can only hear him. When you're on her side, you can only hear her and nothing else. And I thought that that was really effective. It really stuck with me. And he has to watch her die, and you have to watch her die. And then you're right. You find out that she's just kind of okay. But it was incredibly real. And then he has to just sit there waiting for the police. And you see he's like leaning up against the wall at one point because what the fuck else is he supposed to do? He All he can do is just wait. And it, it lended this really real quality to the moment. I think that that is a good example of the quality filmmaking at hand here. But not like your most thrilling horror movie. Plus... The story, once you know the story, and I have to admit, it did throw me for a loop. I was not, I did not foresee the the twist. That was good. What is the twist? So the twist is that the woman who he saw get stabbed was actually trying to stab the man because she is the killer. Yes, and he was defending himself, but he also went a little nuts. Husband. Yes, and he, but he went a little nuts two and became like her collaborator at one point a little bit yeah but so despite all that aside from the fact that it it totally had me i didn't see it coming that it was going to be her the problem the biggest problem that i had with the movie aside from the fact that it's boring i know everyone's gonna hate me and i'm just gonna kind of smother your faces in it because i don't (laughs) care you were you already hated me the first time i said it (laughs) the problem with the story is that it's just too perfectly put together his friend happens to be a bird 
uh-huh expert question mark i don't know, I don't know. he does yeah. something with birds he happens to be a bird expert he happens to hear the tape he happens to know there's only one of those in all of italy it's too perfectly put together and this guy has a want has a need to leave the, the Italy, but then he stays because of this. But like throughout the movie, there's this tension because he really wanted to leave because he's a writer and he can't write anything. And then later, this thriller gets him to write stuff, but that never comes back up. So right. totally pointless uh-huh. plot point. Um, and the bird comes up just to locate the husband, and that's it. It has no importance to the plot. The bird with the crystal plumage. Which is the Hornetus Navalis, which we talked about does not exist. It's not a real bird. The bird in the movie is just a gray-crowned crane, and they don't even show you really its plumage. It's referring specifically to the uh, the tail feathers. Beautiful plumage. Remarkable bird in Norwegian blowing it, eh? Beautiful plumage. <laughs> a plumage? Don't enter into it. He's stone dead. So it doesn't really play a big part in it, but that is something that subsequently became very typical for a Jalo film. Like, for instance, like these long elaborate titles. In the trilogy, they're not really related, but they all have kind of animal-related titles called the Animal Trilogy, which is really Argento's like first three films, were The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, The Cat o' Nine Tales, and Four Flies on Grey Velvet. They sound like they're a Sherlock Holmes mystery title. And that was that was really like a trademark of these Jalo films, which weren't really it wasn't really a trademark until Dario Argento did it. It fascinates me to hear about what people at the time thought about what we consider to be classics now. Especially since, you know, you hear about movies where it doesn't win Best Picture and something else does. And people consider the that movie to be, like, perfect, but the one who actually won, nobody even remembers it. Like, there's stuff like that. So, I'm really inter- – I was interested to read the reviews, and so this is what Roger Ebert had to say about it. He gave it three stars. He works on a four-star system. Uh, he says, it works mostly by exploiting our fear of the dark. We keep following the hero into dark rooms, dark alleys, dark parks, dark corridors, and dark basements. And that makes us very uneasy. I looked around the theater and found people unconsciously leaning forward in their seats and sort of squinting, as if they could vicariously spot any danger to the hero. That's what thrillers are all about, of course, and that's why this one works. So it's probably very unusual for the time. Obviously it was. It sparked a whole subgenre. It was something that audiences weren't really used to seeing. You'd see other things kind of like it, like Psycho. For instance, this movie ends a lot like... Psycho does Big where we twist, have you don't know who it was yeah and it's because the person is crazy and we'll probably explain well I will explain that right now uh, basically this woman was attacked and survived and seeing this one particular painting which is probably what the the movie should have been named after kind of sends her off the deep end again okay let's talk about this painting okay what's wrong I don't know that painting it bothers me. What is it? It's a photo of a painting that somehow mixed up in these murders. It looks a bit perverted to me. Oh, it gives me the shivers. When I first found out there was a painting that was bought by the first person who got... I mean, well, the first person who gets killed is a, is a girl in the shop who sells the painting. Yeah. 
And that man, by the way, the man who owns the shop. Super creepy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was, was like, is it him? He was really into the main character. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so there's this painting. And my immediate response is, find out who the fuck bought it. And Chris said that back then they probably wouldn't have those kind of records. And I just, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't, it's a big ticket item. It's not some, it's not candy. You don't go in and pay two bucks for it. Like, this is something that you're paying a lot of money for. Why on earth wouldn't they know who it was? But whatever, that's neither here nor there. So they don't know who it is. Okay, fine. So he finds out who the painter is, and he goes after the painter, which is great. And it's a fun scene. He has to cr- climb up a ladder. Uh-huh. But then it's Leads fucked kind up because the guy fucking eats, eats cats. cats. Yeah. Super uh-huh. fucking weird. Anyway. Well, um, they needed to express that this is a fucked up human being who painted this painting. Right. Oh, and we should say what the painting is. The painting is of a girl. It's the it's the woman who ends up being the killer. She's being attacked by some random person with snow. a knife, right? In the snow, right. So my immediate question is, who got attacked? What was this woman's name? We should probably talk to her. What if this killer is the same person who oh, attacked I wasn't her? Under, I wasn't under the impression that it was an actual event. No, it totally was. He tells the whole story. Uh, okay. He says, it happened episode. to my friend. Uh-huh. I painted it for her. And that's why uh-huh. she sees the painting and it's yeah. her. Okay. Anyway, why doesn't he ask who this person is? Why wouldn't he be interested in knowing about this woman's past or whoever? Maybe she can provide insight of some kind, but right. no. I think he just assumes that she's dead. I-, I guess, but there's just so many times in this movie where it's like, ask the question. You could probably have figured this out way earlier if you had bothered to ask certain questions. So at the end of the movie, there's this explanation about why she is the way she is. And that is, again, much like Psycho, where at the end of Psycho, there's a psychiatrist that explains why he's of two minds, you know, and he explains what the psychosis is. They do the same thing here, but it's much more believable because it's part of a television show where they're explaining to the audience of this television show. So it's, it's structured in such a way that it's a lot more believable than Psycho is. I don't know about that because there's, like I said, there's a bunch of stuff that I was confused about. Like, for example, the murderer at one point. I I meant the explanation being a lot more believable. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But at one point, the murderer hires a hitman to go after the guy. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. They never explain that. You're a murderer. You you kill people. You're going to hire a fucking hitman to kill someone else for you? What? I That's another thing, listeners. This movie made me angry cuz there was just so much shit that I was like, "Why? Why does this make any Oh, it makes no sense." And then at the end, another reason why I just was loathing the end, the quote-unquote murderer goes after his girlfriend it ends up being the husband of the wife which we've talked about the husband kind of goes a little bit crazy because he finds out that his wife is crazy and he wants to protect her because he loves her so he goes after the main character's girlfriend remember the model Mm -hmm. and the girlfriend is in an apartment and it's locked and she knows the murderer is coming after her she opened the door she saw it was him she closed the door locked it etc starts crying mm-hmm. whimpering gets yeah. on the floor and i'm sitting there like again women 
making stupid ass decisions. And then she finally gets up, looks for a way out, can't find one, gets a weapon, randomly decides to attack the fucking- Oh, well, because she sees the guy's eye through a peephole that he has created. I don't know what he used. And she starts- Stabbing. Now, the first time makes sense. You're trying to get his eye, right? He clearly moved. He clearly didn't get hit by it. Then she keeps stabbing it to make the fucking hole bigger. And then she drops the knife and just starts crying and whimpering again. And I can't, I can't stand it. It, it makes me seethe with anger because acting like women are these helpless, dumb useless creatures that except need a, a woman man. was the murderer a very capable one i might add here's how it's a good segue it brings us back to roger ebert this is how he ends his review one of the most effective scenes in bird for example comes when the hero's girl is alone in their apartment and the killer starts hacking away at the door the lights are out again and the phone is dead and the girl collapses into hysteria and crawls around on the floor and we desperately want her to pull herself together and do something. But she doesn't, and the killer keeps hacking away. That's how he ends the review, because he found it very effective. The fact that you want her to get up and do something is exactly what the movie wants you to feel. It wants you to feel desperate for her to do something, to give you that sort of adrenaline rush. And it's the same thing you see in any slasher movie where the woman's running and you're like, go up the door, go out the front door, don't go up the stairs. And we watch all those movies all the time. Like, Well, this had the the opposite effect because all it did was make me hate men for portraying women in this way. And I get it. The woman's the killer and you're supposed to think that she's this scary murderess at the end. But that doesn't really work because throughout the film you think it's a man and I get it oh it's a big deal she's a woman and it is and it does take me by surprise at the end but nothing about that tells me that she's this strong female character because the way that they they explain that she became a murderess is because she identifies with her killer which again a makes her this weak little flower who can't rise up against what happened to her. She has to identify with the murderer. And again, she has to identify with a male character right, right, right. to become a strong character. Right. I'd say where it gets really touchy is when I, I mentioned and you disagreed with me about how some of the violence is very sexual. There was the scene, and I put this in the lightning round, where a woman was murdered in her bedroom, where her panties are ripped off, and the whole thing is filmed like a sex scene. It is literally filmed like a sex scene. If it wasn't a knife, it would be a penis. She's grabbing onto the bed sheets and everything that films that, and the and the 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 screaming could be terror, could be ecstasy, you know, it could be anything. If we're gonna talk about anything not being feminist, there's that. Then again, it's a 1970 movie. Like, what can we really expect of it? I think it's worth talking about it, though. So I'm glad you brought it up. I disagree on the whole a woman being the villain is not progressive. It's pretty progressive. This is not even the first movie we've talked about in this in this podcast where a woman is actually the killer. I have another review here from the New York Times. It doesn't say who wrote it. Must have been a staff writer of some sort that says followers of the genre may feel that they have seen all this before 
If they are like me, they will be quite willing to see it all again. And indeed, with more will than wisdom, the bird with the crystal plumage imitates some of the best models. In its technology, it follows Fritz Lang. In its equation of mystery with visual obsession, it leans towards Antonioni. In its penchant for classy surprise, psychological eyewash, and quite expert exploitation of subjective camera, it resembles some Hitchcock. And in its use of doors, windows, stairwells, facades as dangerously attractive nuisances, it suggests lessons learned from the superb Elio Petri. The dialogue is sappy, the post-synchronization dreadful, the blood too thin, the moods too thick. And yet, the bird with the crystal plumage has the energy to support its elaborateness and the decency to display its devices with style. Something from each of its better models has stuck, and it is pleasant to rediscover old horrors in such handsome new decor. All right, lightning round. There are a couple things that I should probably bring up. I did like the moment where he's walking through the fog and the murderer is following him. That was a good creepy moment. Mm -hmm. That was well done. I loved the part where they bring in the perverts. Yeah, I have that here. Bring in the perverts when starting the police lineup. How many times do I have to tell you that Ursula Andrus belongs with the transvestites, not with the perverts? <laughs> well, I should hope so. <laughs> I also thought it was interesting that they describe the killer as being a person who smokes Havana cigars and nice clo- and wears nice clothing. Yeah. Like, she smokes cigars? Was that ever even brought up again? No, it was just him attempting some early profiling some other issues with femininity his girlfriend just constantly wants to have sex every time he comes home why aren't we sleeping together why aren't we fucking why aren't we having sex just constantly the very first thing she says to him when he walks in is it's been a month <laughs> like okay i get it that's right. uh, that's a while but still like every time he walks through the right. door why aren't we having sex right now right but then on the other hand i could also kind of see her point like, when they're making out, they're making out for no reason when the friend is there and then the friend leaves and then he gets some wild hair up his ass and then just walks out the door in the middle of it. And she gets pissed at him and he just laughs at her. And it's like, dude, come on. You can be a little more sensitive than that. <laughs> also, at one point, you notice that he has a black power poster in his room, which was yeah. a little odd. <laughs> I don't know if that's literally black power. I think it's probably some pop art stuff. A nice little touch that they did was um, at one point he goes back to the museum to talk to the woman who he thinks was stabbed. And there's a loud, sudden noise. And the woman grabs at her stomach. And you barely see it. But it's right where she gets stabbed. Where she was stabbed. Yeah. And that was a nice little yeah, touch. Yeah, I, th I thought the same thing. I just didn't But then at the yeah. end, it doesn't make any sense because she wasn't actually stabbed. She was stabbed. Right, but she wasn't stabbed in a situation where, like, she'd be afraid. So that was odd. I guess to throw the scent off for the audience? No, what happens in the first scene is she is legitimately stabbed because she's trying to kill her husband yeah he's trying to get the knife out of her yeah. hand and he accidentally uh -huh. stabs her right but like then later she hears just a loud sudden noise and she grabs her stomach which if she was actually attacked would make perfect sense but in this case she wasn't well she was attacked originally and then she's attacked again by her husband so at one point, the main character finds out that one of the women who was attacked was a prostitute, and he goes to talk to the pimp who's so in jail. Long. 
so long. He was really funny. Yeah, he's really cute. He had, uh, he had a stutter, and the so only long. way that he could stop from stuttering is saying, so long. So at one point, he just says so long, and so our guy just gets up and walks out. He's like, where are you going? <laughs> I said so long. <laughs> I always say so long. So long. So long. Speaking of guys that are really weird, I like uh, he tries to get information out of the guy who, who ends up sending him to so long. And the guy comes in and immediately says, get this straight. I don't know anything. I don't know anybody. And I ain't seen anything. What do you want to know? And then at the end of the conversation, he's he's leaving. And the guy says, after he gets paid, and our guy says, when will I hear from you? And he says, never. Maybe tomorrow morning. <laughs> like, I love the little quirks of all the characters. It's really quite interesting. Okay, I do agree. The quirky characters are fun and interesting. I will give it that. See, here's the thing. There are a bunch of things I actually kind of did like about this. But play. the meandering story that took too long kind of turned you off to the whole thing. And you I, think? I, I forgot. Like, I was just okay. like, I for, I kept forgetting about the things that I enjoyed because, yeah. like you said, it did meander and it got lost. And just constantly in my notes, I'm confused. I'm so confused. What is happening? <laughs> just like, just because there's just so much stuff that has nothing to do with what's happening in the actual storyline. I have one last thing. The point of view shot used when the husband falls to his death, they actually dropped a camera to get that shot. Like, I think it was tied to something so it could stay pointed down, but they, like, dropped it to the ground. Uh, Six stories onto a concrete sidewalk. That's pretty neat, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't have anything against Starry Origento. Like I said, I really like his movies. I think that he's a great director. I think he has interesting ideas. This movie just didn't grasp me. Yeah. I, okay, I think I think there are other Dario Argento movies that we might want to see. Maybe that isn't a Jalo film that might work better. Maybe we review Suspiria sometime. Maybe we do uh, Deep Red. That's the one. Deep Red, I have not seen. That's yeah. also on our list. I was talking to my buddy Bob, who I was like the whole through the whole movie. I was like, "Where's this part? I can't believe because we ruined the movie for us at one point." The, the killer is in a certain place, and so is another person, and so the killer's hiding. And at one point, you see the face in the mirror, and we were watching it on, like, DVD, so it was, like, a high-def picture, and we went back, and we paused it, and sure enough, you see the actual killer's face. And I was waiting for that for so long in this movie, so I could, I'd be prepared, and I, I wouldn't let Kelsey rewind, and I completely conflated the two films, and so it's in it's in deep red. So we'll we'll maybe watch that and see how that one goes. So with that said, Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think? I'm gonna guess that this has a seventy-seven percent, ninety-two percent. From wow. 25 reviews. Wow. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, think about it. It's not that people rated it 92% good. It's that 92% of people that reviewed it said it was good. I don't, I hesitate to say that it is overrated. I know that I got bored and that's not really fair to a movie, kind of, I guess. It can be, Sure. And it's hard because I know that Dario Gento is such a good director. Well, there's also a different standard of what kept people's attention in the 70s, you know? I mean, we are the children of the children, you know what I mean? Like, this is this is so many generations in the world of film back that we've seen everything this has to offer and more, and it comes at a much more rapid pace, what we're used to. So I would say it's overrated. 
Yeah, okay. I would probably give it a 72%. Okay, if you were to give it a percentage, 72%. Yeah. I'd say 85. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I think that the uh, New York Times reviewer got it right in, in some respects that... I mean, it's not the best written. The post-synchronization, which was a very common thing back then, was absolutely awful, especially with these Italian films. But I liked it. I, I really, I enjoyed it. And for the first Dario Argento movie, I'd say pretty great. Pretty great first outing. I'm very sorry to all the listeners who absolutely love this movie. I feel guilty. Like, I actually feel guilty for not having liked this. And I feel like a lot of people are going to hate me for it, but whatever. Now, the next movie we're supposed to watch is The House of the Devil. And what you have to understand, listeners, is that I was in charge of making the list. And I came up with different reasons to put movies together. And this movie, The House of the Devil, I really enjoy. Chris hasn't seen it. I put it alongside bird of the crystal plumage because i had a very different idea of what bird of the crystal plumage was going to be about with the crystal plumage whatever um (laughs) it both has a killer in it (laughs) all right house house of the devil so we've got Bird with the Crystal Plumage and House of the Devil. Uh, House of the Devil is written and directed by Ty West, in 2000, released in 2009. And if you haven't seen it yet, like I haven't, go ahead and pause now and we'll, uh, we'll watch House of the Devil and come back and talk about it. I can tell you like it. I love it. It's perfect. About the deposit? It's hard coming up with all that money, isn't it? Uh, it's gonna work out. You're not the one with eighty-four dollars in the bank account, and I checked her right on Monday. You know what you should do. Hi, I'm calling in regards to the babysitter flyer posted outside my dorm. The nice big eclipse is now well underway. I'm feeling a little weird just dropping you out here in the middle of wherever we are. Samantha, because I've not been completely honest. This equals first month's rent and then some, and all I have to do is sit inside and watch TV. This is huge. This one night changes everything for me. Talk to me, Lord. Talk to me. Kelsey, what was House of the Devil about? House of the Devil is about a college girl who wants to move into a house to rent, and she doesn't have any money, so she takes a babysitting job, and things go poorly. (laughs) All right, all right. I'm going to say right off the bat, I really enjoyed this movie, and I said... Multiple times while we're watching it, I thanked Kelsey for exposing me to this movie. It's really good. I will say in a previous episode, episode four, when we were talking about The Conjuring, I make a comment about how the director of The Conjuring, James Wan, tried to film it like it was a 70s movie, but he didn't do very much along those lines. Like, it's very just vaguely filmed like a 70s movie. And so I recommended everyone to see if they were looking for something like that to see Ouija origin of evil. 
I take it back. See this movie. See House of the Devil. If you want to see a movie that looks like it was made in the 80s, or 70s rather. 80s. 80s. Yeah, I guess 80s. See House of the Devil. Because it is really, really good. Here are my comments. Let's get them out of the way. The weird production company promos, which are really old school indie style production uh, company promos. It immediately felt like an old movie right from the word jump. The sound, the zooms, which they don't, movies don't really do zooms anymore. They get a camera on a dolly and they track in instead of zooming in. So the zooms, the very realistic film grain. It was filmed on 16 millimeter, which uh, helped along in that regard. The natural hairstyles. A lot of times when movies, when they go retro, usually when movies try to do the whole retro thing where it takes place in the 70s or the 80s, they go really far out there. And they take the stereotype and the, and and they do the stereotype. But the stereotype is an accentuation of what people were actually doing. It wasn't as extreme as the stereotype is. So all the hairstyles are subtle, but definitely like early 80s. And the clothes, uh, the slightly off dialogue volume quality, uh, some of it being ADR, some of it not, the long shots, uh, the camera, I already did that. The opening title card has the copyright on it. There's a freeze frame during the op there are multiple freeze frames during opening credits. The there's a lot of sound that's non-foley. So foley is when they come in later and they record the sound after the fact. Uh, or if it is foley, it's made to sound diegetic where them walking up the steps, it's not somebody coming in later and making noises. It's that they actually recorded the sound of them walking up the steps. This is the point where I said, I fucking love this. Fucking forget what I said about Ouija Origin of Evil. It was promotionally released on a VHS in a clamshell box when it came out. Uh, the last major motion picture released in that format was A History of Violence in 2005. This was released in 2009, so there's like a four-year gap. There are payphones, Walkmen, Coke cups, acid-washed wa acid jeans. And the IMDb entry actually explains Walkmen, and this is really great. I wanted to get to this. Samantha's Sony Walkman was used in the film to fit the 80s nostalgia theme. Walkmans were audio cassette playing boxes, and their convenient and portable function made them really popular with young people in the 80s, and even up until the early 2000s, before MP3 players and iPods became so mainstream. <laughs> like, it felt the need to explain it, but it was voted down. It's crazy unpopular. Like, only 9 out of 28 people said that it was useful information, or they found it interesting. But I bet kids would want to know this kind of stuff. Especially when you watch those React videos and kids are like, what is this? How do I play? <laughs> you know, there's a corded rotary phone. So a lot, like they get everything absolutely right in this movie to, to date it as a period piece, which effectively is what it is. So sorry to completely monopolize the beginning to talk about that. Did you want to say anything about how the old school feel? I mean, that is the same thing. The first time I saw it, that's what pulled me in immediately because it's right off the bat. The graininess, the, the the freeze frames, the zooms, exactly. And I'd like to point out that, again, this was made in 2009. Mm -hmm. So this is before it became a thing for an 80s nostalgia. Um, a lot of people might argue that it was Stranger Things that kind of kicked that off. I don't agree with that. There were quite a few other little lesser-known things before that. But this was 2009. So 
right before Stranger Things, it started, like, it follows, kind of did it a yeah. little bit. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, but a lot of movies were doing that, and that was probably probably around, like, 2015 is when it started becoming a big thing yeah. for 80s nostalgia. This was 2009, and it makes me really sad that most people have never heard of this. They've never seen it. It's a very independent film. I just happened to see it on Netflix one day a long time ago, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. It has old horror movie pacing, which you don't see a lot nowadays. It takes a while to get to... There's the twist in the movie that happens in the last act... And before that, there's one act of violence, one, that would make you, that would key you into the fact that this is a horror movie beyond just everything seems kind of creepy. Everything seems very creepy throughout. But yes, I've read several inter- several reviews about this movie that say how boring it is. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that people are so used to things happening so fast now right. that they can't sit still and let a movie build up its it's tone it's a it's like a boil right mm-hmm. like you're bringing a pot to boil mm-hmm. and so it it just constantly feeds you that tone as you say throughout until things come to a head and they come to a head immediately and if you're not sucked in right away by the 80s feel then maybe this movie isn't for you because a lot of it relies on the audience to be like oh my god this is so realistic. Right. This feels so right. Um, I mean, you could argue that the character, you know, she, she, like I said, she wants to rent a house. She's a poor college girl. Um, hates her roommate. Has a best friend who has a ton of money and it's not fair. She tries to become a babysitter, but it doesn't work out at first. You could argue that that stuff isn't interesting, but I mean, that's character development. And if you're not interested in character development, then what are you doing watching movies? Unless you just want to watch something that's just action-packed and doesn't make you think at all. Not that this movie is a thinking movie by any (laughs) standard, but the fact that like people were just like, oh, so bored. Like... Really? You're bored with character development? Yeah. Which is different from what I was saying about Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Because Bird with the Crystal Plumage, it's just like, oh, a murder. Oh, he has to try to figure it out, but he goes on paths that take him nowhere. I guess I just got bored with, like, we talked about the meandering. This has a very straightforward story. There's not a lot of meandering. No, No. there's very little that does not have to do with the main plot. And it's building up the tone, as I said. I mean, when she first sees the sign for babysitters, you automatically know something is up because all it says is babysitter needed and gives a phone number. Uh Uh-huh. No one would ever advertise that way without it being strange. And that's he says that. He says that he's not very good at marketing or whatever it is that he says. Right. And then she calls and it's a really creepy phone call. And then he wants to meet her right away, but he doesn't show up. I mean, like all these things are building up to the fact that you're an idiot girl and you should realize that something is wrong. But we know because of the character development how badly she wants to get out of her dorm room. Right. And we wouldn't have that if they hadn't taken the time to show us that. Right. Totally. I 100% agree. I would also like to bring up at this point the actor Tom Noonan, who plays the husband, 
the older man, the very tall man. You might know him from Last Action Hero. He's the bad guy. He's the Ripper. Uh, I'm getting bored. Why don't we just skip to the end? Woo! Give me over here. Right here, Jack. Come on. Come here. Come on, Jack. Let's go, man. Come here. He's also in Heat and Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa. But I know him as the Ripper. Like, that's absolutely where I know him. But in my notes for this movie... I wrote down, his soft voice is perfectly creepy. I can't tell you how much a relief it'll be to get this night behind us. I couldn't get over how hooked I was by his character. Like, absolutely, he's very soft-spoken, but also that makes him a little creepy. And everything he said, like, he, it was just so well acted. Dude's a really good actor playing the Ripper in Last Action Hero. <laughs> but it was really cute, especially when he said three times three times about the pizza. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, I said that already, didn't I? And here's a little more. It's something neat. There's a number on the refrigerator for a pizza place. I know you college kids love pizza. Again, there's a number on the fridge for pizza. I already said that, didn't I? Oh, yeah, don't forget pizza on the refrigerator. Uh, it's very well done. I think he's very, he's a natural for this part. Really good. So like we said, she calls. He says he wants to meet her. He doesn't show up. She goes and gets pizza with her friend. She comes back to her dorm room, finds out that he called her back and wanted to talk to her. So she talks to him and it's like, you know, again, there's a bunch of reasons why she just shouldn't do this. The guy was obviously a no-show. He's a weirdo. Something is up. And her friend is trying to tell her that and they go on this ride and it takes them a long time to get out there. And she has a cute line about, I had to actually look at a map to find this place, which is funny because no one our age ever looks at maps anymore. Right. Yeah. I don't even think people know how to read maps anymore. I was just talking about this just the other day with an uncle of mine talking about having to use Thomas guides to get anywhere. If you wanted to drive someplace, you needed to look up the street name. And the range of numbers in the index in the back of the book and find the page. And then it, when, it, when it would hit the end of the page, it would tell you what page to go to. Like, oh, those, it was such a hassle. And I absolutely hated it. And I love GPS now. It's great. Also, while she's getting pizza with her friend, um, her friend's trying to talk her. Well, at that point, they thought that she wasn't going to go. And the girl goes, you know, why would you want to do it anyway? They could be from hell. <laughs> which i thought was clever what is going on what is the twist what is the secret here well we're getting there i've got okay. stuff i, I, right. I want to talk about this build-up that they okay. create so um when he when they're on the phone before she heads out the guy says i promise to make this as painless for you as possible which he actually follows through uh-huh. on he tries to make it as painless for her as possible uh-huh. um There's all this discussion about the eclipse that night, so obviously we're being let in that something, you know, there's an eclipse. And sure, eclipses happen, but they're very rare, and they're making a big... full eclipse, yeah. And they're making a big deal about how in this one little town, you'll have the perfect view of it. So then her friend is like, hey, like, do you want me to hang out with you? And she just keeps saying no, and I'm like, why the hell wouldn't you? Right. You need her to come back to pick you up anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of saving her a drive. And if any of my friends had ever been said, had ever said like, hey, let me know when the kids fall asleep, I'll come hang out with you while you get paid. I'd uh, be like, fuck yeah. Especially in the 80s when there aren't any cameras in the house. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I will say about that, this is another thing that kind of tips you off that something's wrong. Of course, the audience always knows that something's wrong, but it's something that the main character didn't catch is that... 
when he takes her aside, when he sees that there's the other woman there, he says, I can't pay two of you. I hope you don't have a problem, but you have to understand that I, I'm only paying one person for their time. Oh, yeah. No, um, Megan's not staying. She's just my ride. I don't have a car, so she was just dropping me off. Oh, good. She says, oh, no, it's okay. She's going to go. And then when she finds out that it's really an old woman and he needs to convince her to stay, he triples her pay. I'm sorry. I appreciate your situation. I do. Okay, what would it take? How about if I uh, gave you another $100? Okay, okay. $200. That's $300 for one night. Please, you have no idea how important this is. 400. He absolutely could have afforded to do that. He didn't want there to be two women for some other reason. We know what it is. But she didn't pick up on what that was. And it was very nice. It was foreboding and some good foreshadowing. And also, so what Chris just said, he kind of skipped over the fact that you find out that she's not there to babysit children. She is there to babysit an old woman. Yeah. And right off the bat, I would just be like, no, I'm not. Uh, anything I'm, I'm not qualified yeah. for that anything that has to do with old people i i'm not going to be in charge of your mom who's dying like i'm right. sorry no if right. your if your mom dies and i'm there like no i'm not doing that also i've had to clean up after bo- after kids i've had to wipe butts i've had to do mm-hmm. gross shit i'm not doing that for an adult <laughs> The only person I would be willing to do that for, maybe my parents, maybe. Aww. I hope they don't hear this. Yeah, thanks. But but I hope they don't hear this. Old people creep me out enough. I don't want to be touching them. (laughs) I want to touch them as little as possible. So, yeah. Anyway, so I wonder if Volvo got any money for... uh, Basically, they advertised them. They were both Volvos. I mean, if they if Volvo paid money because right. they pretty much no, advertise I mean, it. The friend's car was a Volvo, too. Mm-hmm. So when he opens the door, when she first gets there, he's just like, there's not a moment to spare. And, um, <laughs> and they spend a lot of time just hanging out and talking. <laughs> yeah, and, he, and he's talking about the eclipse. And we've been here for a month and we have so much to do getting ready for this eclipse. And it's like, okay, I can understand people being excited about an eclipse my fucking parents wanted to go on a trip just this last time to go and see the special one Mm -hmm. um so i get it a lot of people do that but you moved somewhere and you've been doing all this preparation for the eclipse like what does that mean and she doesn't even think about it it doesn't even occur to her to wonder what the heck he's talking about it was very strange and the wife is very on edge like there were just there's just so much slow buildup yeah. but like you said he's a soft spoken guy so it makes it seem nice but as chris said he pulls her away to their own little room and he explains the situation you have to forgive me Samantha, because i've not been Completely honest. Um, you see, we we actually don't have a child. And when she initially says no, what does he do? Do you remember? No. He stands up and, like, pushes the chair out of the way and, like, is obviously heated. Yeah. Second, The second that happens, I'm out the door. Right. No, I remember that. I remember that now. Yeah. 
I mean, he apologizes very quickly and he says, you know what, I understand if you want to leave. But then he, of course, like Chris says, he triples the pay. He gives all kinds of excuses for why it would be easy. But the moment a man stands up and pushes his chair out of the way and is clearly upset because I want to leave, that's going to make me leave twice as fast. Here's the question. If she tried to leave, knowing that it was the eclipse that night and he couldn't get a hold of anybody else... Would it have just escalated things faster? I don't know. I think it had to happen at a certain time. No, but I mean attacking her, knocking her out, or what have you. Possibly. Yeah. Also, just the fact that he fucking lied. Right. Like, I would just be like, dude, you're a liar. How can I trust anything you say? Right. How can I trust that you're going to pay me $400 that you just said you're going to pay me? Well, he said half now and half later, which is something he wasn't going to do before. I guess. I love when the friend gets really upset and she's just like, you know, did you ever stop to think that it is too good to be true? Right. Do you remember the game plan? The game plan was if they're weird, we leave. This is beyond weird. It's mental. You know, they lied to you. They lied to you. I know. Okay, I know you're right. But it's $400. It's $400 for four hours? This equals first month's rent and then some and all I have to do is sit inside and watch TV. It's too good to be true. Did you ever think it is too good to be true? No. Of course not. That would be me. That I would be that friend. I would be like, this is too much. There's something wrong here. I'm not leaving without you. But she does. But she she decides that she wants to turn around. And what happens, Chris? She <laughs> pulls over to light a cigarette because she doesn't want to be driving while she does it. And some guy pops up with the lighter. And he's the first thing that seems out of place in this entire movie. He doesn't really seem like he fits the 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 era or the tone of the movie it's just kind of weird it would be more interesting if he if he was a little bit more realistic but ultimately he asks you know if she's the babysitter and or something to that effect she she reveals that she's not the babysitter and, and he, he says wait you're not the babysitter oh my god oh my god oh my god you scared the crap out of me Take it easy. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to scare you. I, I just thought you could use the light as all. Sue me for being helpful. <sighs> it's freezing out here. Okay. Are you... Are you not the babysitter? No, I'm not the babysitter. My friend... And then he just shoots her right in the face. And holy shit, I was not expecting that. I, I wrote here, holy fuck the first murder. I was really, really not expecting it. It had some really nice gore in a good way like over the top not but it's corny. it's very fast it's it doesn't mm-hmm. like oh Linger gross it. and yeah. everywhere no it's just like bam mm-hmm. and her face just goes everywhere um but yeah no i think it's interesting because some people might be wondering well hey didn't you just say that the friend is super hypercritical why would she not think it's weird that the guy came out of nowhere and she does, she does yeah. it just takes her a second to realize it because she's she's pulled over on the side of the road and she's like got her cigarette out she's looking for a lighter he's like here's the lighter and she's like thanks and she thinks it's weird she lights it and then he's like it's raining out here she's like yeah like looking at him like i'm not letting you into my right, fucking exactly, car asshole right. and then she suddenly is like where did you just come from like suddenly uh-huh. it dawns on her and he's like wait are you the babysitter uh-huh. no and then yeah. he shoots her so it wasn't enough time everyone for her to, to react right 
So yeah, he says several times when they're about to leave, um, I know how you college kids love pizza. Three times he wants her to definitely order that pizza. Because? Because they've it all set up. The guy who shot the girl in the face is going to show up with pizza is going to knock her out. Right. Now, when she calls for the pizza, the guy on the other end of the line asks her if she wants extra anchovies. And and, uh, that means... Do you want to have sex for money? Because that's from Lover Boy. Lover Boy with uh, Patrick Dempsey. It's a great movie. You yes. should definitely see it. Chris has apparently never seen <laughs> I it. I have never seen it. No. Young Patrick I own Dempsey. Do you really? DVD. I didn't know that. Yes, okay. I do. <laughs> All right. Maybe maybe we have to watch it not for this show though. No. Um, so but before we get there, there's so much build up and you know, I mean like if you're just listening, like there's so much he says she's quite able-bodied when he's talking so about you'll the mother. So hear her walk around. So the question is, why does she need a babysitter if she's quite able-bodied? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she's walking around the house exploring. There's creepy music playing. I thought that created a really good mood and atmosphere. She sits down to watch the news, which talks a little bit about the eclipse. But I had one of those televisions. The TV had a button for each channel. So, flashback for all you that aren't old enough to know about this. Uh, there weren't a lot of channels on the antenna, obviously. I think we had one of those when I was a little, little kid. That was in my room growing up. That was my TV. <laughs> where there was a... It started at like two, and then three, then four, five, seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen. And then it had uh, like the UHF uh, band as well. And it had a remote, and the remote had two buttons. There was channel and volume. You would change the channel, and it would just cycle through every one of those channels. Or you could get up and hit the button specifically designated for each channel. And then there was the volume button. And all it would do is it would turn the volume down. You press it, press it, press it, and go down, 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 down. And then off. And then you pressed it again, and it would turn it on at maximum volume. And then you'd... Turn it down, 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 down. But when you turned it back on again, it would start at channel two. So if you were on channel 13 and wanted to turn the volume up, you needed to turn the volume all the way down till it turned off, turn it back on again, set it to the volume you want by only going down, and then hit the channel again to cycle through all the channels to get to channel 13. It was garbage. (laughs) (laughs) It was a garbage television. It was a garbage experience. But that's all they had, you know? I'm an old man. Yes, you are. Um, but also, you keep pressing ahead. I've got things I want to say. <laughs> so he also says at one point, I've already said too much, which is weird and creepy. Yes. Then she hears him upstairs talking to the mother saying, "They're not. there's not going to be any more mistakes. She's perfect. I promise. I've done everything you asked. Please stop worrying. I have it all under control. Why doesn't that creep her out? Right. Well, because I think she doesn't quite make out what they're saying. She gets curious because she can hear the talking, but she only hears one side of the conversation and she can't hear it all. It's very muffled and far away. And she keeps noticing that they keep lying to her. He said he was going up to speak to his wife. The wife comes out from the garage area or the basement area. Then she says the mom, the wife tells her I was getting my fur out of the basement and then she finds the fur later in the house. And it's like she just keeps 
finding that they've been lying to her. Also, the mother's wearing a weird skull brooch. I don't know if you noticed that. No. It's very strange. And the wife says when she's wearing her fur, she says, I love the heat. Which is devilish. Oh, um, okay. I get what you're saying. Um, also, Tom Noonan was in heat. <laughs> He says to the wife before they leave, things worked out perfectly and you doubted me. Yes. And it's just like, this is weird shit to be saying about a lady that you wanted to watch your your mom. Right, but even still, like, if they're really looking forward to going out on a night out and they need someone to take care of their mom, and he said, no, I'll take care of it, and she doubted him, that's a thing that they would be saying. Well, anyway, so then they finally leave, and Chris points out the music. Now, I find it interesting that you brought up the the ambient music because i was gonna bring up the music that she listens to on her yes, headphones i loved that moment it was very 80s and 80s movie would absolutely have a moment like this the problem with it is she's dancing around she full-on breaks a vase and yes. it's just like okay if nothing weird was going on and you're just a girl that's supposed to be watching the house and you break their vase you're fucking fired. There goes that $400 you were hoping right, for. Totally. Like, how can you be so irresponsible? You throw it away and you hope they don't notice till you already have your money and you're long gone. <laughs> also, she starts playing the fucking piano. And I'm like, dude, as far as you're aware, there's an old lady sleeping upstairs. Right. Why are you being an asshole? Can I say now, since we're talking about what it is that she's doing, she kind of looks like Sloane from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I, not all the time, but occasionally and repeatedly. I'm like, huh, she has a kind of a Sloan look to her, which is an 80s movie. So it worked. It totally worked. I think it had to do with the hair, too. But so the song that she's listening to when she dances, and Chris got mad at me because I said something, and it made him be like, don't give anything away. Um, oh, yeah. Is uh, One Thing Leads to Another by The Fix. Why don't they do what they say to say? says why don't they do what they say say what they mean one thing leads to another yeah. and it's a perfect song for this story yes they are lying mm -hmm. and everything is dictated by the thing that comes before it if you had paid attention you'd know what comes next so how does she discover that something very wrong is going on at, i don't know the exact order of this but she goes upstairs to the attic there's a hallway stairwell that goes up to the attic and there's somebody up in there and she doesn't know who it is and it's she doesn't think it's the grandma and she sees a hand or something well i don't remember if she goes up to the attic at first or not but she okay. doesn't see the hand till later so she sees as she's digging through closets when she sees the fur she sees furs and she's like wait a minute i thought she said these were in the basement and then she sees there's photographs there. And it's photographs in front of the house, in front of the Volvo. And it's not this family. It's another family. And she starts freaking out and panicking. And she hears noises upstairs of the, the mom. And she grabs the knife. And that's when the knock at the door happens. And I love that she grabs the knife. Yes. Because finally there is a female character in a horror movie who recognizes that something is wrong. She's not just a ditz going, what? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> and so she grabs a knife. Now, 
she does constantly throughout the movie tell herself, calm down, it's not, nothing's, yes. nothing is wrong, which we all do. I mean, you know, when you hear a noise and you freak out and you go looking for it and you don't find anything, you have to tell yourself, okay, it must have been the house. I've yeah. looked. But at this point, I think she has enough reason <laughs> to think that something really bad is happening. But she does grab a knife. Thank God. She throws the money at the pizza delivery guy, grabs the pizza, and immediately slams the door closed and locks it. And she's freaking out. But she gets the pizza, and the pizza looks like garbage. She goes to cut it, and it's all pre-cut. It looks old. And she goes to eat it, and it tastes weird. Mm-hmm. And so she spits it out. And this, I think, is the moment when she goes up the stairs yes. into the attic. And that was, I wrote down, there is no way I would go into that attic. <laughs> right. It has it has one of those open a door and it's a stairway hallway thing where there's walls on both sides. It's very cramped. There's another door at the top and the lights are on and somebody's moving around up there. Well, the light is not on in the hallway. No, in the, in the attic. Yes. Yeah. And she, she goes to grab the chain for the light in the hallway and all the lights go out. Yes. And she starts freaking out at this point. And is this the point when she passes out? Yes. Yeah, so we actually skipped another piece of gore. A small piece of gore. We know someone is up in the attic. She thinks the old woman is in the bedroom. She tries to get into the bedroom at one point because she's worried about her because she's not responding. She's she's heard noises and so oh, she goes right. and, and we see the other side of the door, which is the family that we saw in the pictures all carved up and laid out. There's a pentagram on the floor and it's very ritualistic and satanic looking, but she never sees that. She doesn't see it yeah. because the door is locked. Mm-hmm. So, so she passes out. Passes out in the hallway. Because presumably the pizza was drugged. Yes. And she wakes up to... She is tied down, and um, they're, they're like they're cutting all, them. Oh, they're, they're all, all dressed, dressed in clothes. In, in robes, and there's another person there. It's not the grandma. It's this deformed individual. It's like a demon. No, he's just a deformed person. There is a demon, but that's not him. Yeah, it's just a man with deformities a la the elephant man. Pretty fucking sure it's a demon. And they show flashes of a demon's face. Same person. That is different. I explicitly wrote down here. I did. Flashing devil face in parentheses. Not the deformed man. Same person. Harkens to the exorcist. No, because it looks like the demon in the exorcist where it's all painted up and it has these sharp teeth. But it's not deformed. So it's two different people. They have like a deformed person that they keep. So in total, we have four people. We have the husband and wife. We have the deformed man and we have the pizza delivery guy. And then they're trying to presumably summon this demon uh, to impregnate her. Yes. But they it's not like they have to rape her or anything. They're, they're it's just a doing, blood ritual. Yeah, it's a blood ritual. So they, they cut themselves open and they put blood all over her. And I can't remember how she gets out. What does she do? Does she cut the... No, the, the, the ropes weren't tied very tightly. And mm. so she scratches the deformed dude who's pouring the blood all over her and in her mouth, which is what's supposed to be what's supposed to impregnate her. She 
uh, unties her other hand, grabs the knife that they were using that the dude cut himself with, and fucking stabs the old man. It is so wonderful. Yes. She just full on is just like, no way. <laughs> I am stabbing anyone who gets in my way. And it's so fantastic. Finally, a female character who doesn't just start screaming and mm-hmm. throw up her hands. So she goes to get away. She ends up uh, slicing the throat of the pizza delivery guy. I wrote yes with a billion exclamation points. Slice to the throat, another billion exclamation <laughs> points. Uh, she stabs the mom in the back. How does she kill the deformed dude, though? Do we ever see her do that? I think she jabbed him in the eye. Yeah, so, something eye. must have happened where I where I don't recall it off the top of my head. And she goes to escape, and she is just they do this thing very deliberately. She is so covered in blood that she's basically wearing a red nightgown instead of a white one. You see later that's just for effect because it's a white nightgown splash with blood later. But in certain shots, she's literally just wearing a red nightgown mm-hmm. just to add to the effect. And she gets out, runs through the cemetery that's right nearby, and the old man, Tom Noonan, tracks her down and comes out to her. He's been stabbed, and he's hurting quite a bit. And he says, Samantha! Samantha! Listen to me! Wait! (laughs) Like, it's not something crazy that just happened. Yeah, let me talk to you, let me talk to you. And he does. He tries to talk her down. From uh, from getting away that, oh, it's really just a great thing, you know. He chose you. Felt very Rosemary's baby. Yeah, I wrote down, we we really should have watched that with, Ro- watched this with Rosemary's baby. But don't worry, everyone. We are yes. going to watch Rosemary's baby. But in case you weren't aware, there was a made-for-TV remake a couple of years ago that we we're going to watch as a double feature. Oh, God. It's I'm not exactly awful. looking forward to it. <laughs> But it exists. So that's where we'll watch Rosemary's Baby. But yes. it could have really fit easily here with House of the Devil. Yes. Um, so she realizes that she's pregnant now and that she's going to give birth to this demon child. And she does the difficult but right thing and... Shoots herself in the head. Yep. Right in the side of the head. It's so great. Yes. And you're like, yes, that's... Oh, oh it was such a great moment where you're like, Great. Do that because you're not going to get away. You don't want to give birth. Just end it now. Don't hem and haw about what's going on. Kind of like what happens in Rosemary's Baby. She just fucking kills herself. And we find out unsuccessfully. Which makes no sense. I, I Oh, it happens all the time. Uh, shooting yourself yes. directly to the head yeah. and you survive. Yeah, there are lots of weird things you can do to the brain and still survive. Uh, like there are people that, there's a dude that shot himself in the forehead and it severed the connection between both lobes of his brain, but he survived and he could function normally, but any function that required like crossing over and using different parts of his brain were really fucked up. But otherwise, he was just a normal human being. So basically, what I've ever heard about trying to do suicide, it just seems like there's just so many ways it could go wrong. Yeah, I mean, violent ways, okay, I guess kind of a content warning for suicide oh, here. Yeah. But Men tend to be more successful with suicide than women do because they choose more violent methods. And more violent methods are more likely to succeed, but they don't succeed all the time. We're talking slitting wrists, uh, hanging themselves, shooting themselves in the head, that sort of thing. But it doesn't work every time. That's and it doesn't work nuts. for her. Yeah. 
I mean, it's more successful than, like, say, taking pills, but it's not 100%. And so she's there, and we don't see anything. We see her, her head all wrapped up, and then the nurse comes in and says, you're going to be all right, sweetheart. Don't worry. You're going to be just fine. Both of you are. We discover she's still pregnant. It freezes, and the credits come up from there on that freeze frame, which was also so really 80s, and I loved it so much. It was so great. The whole entire movie, I was totally engaged and totally jazzed. Little Easter egg thing. I don't know if it is an Easter egg or not, but eventually that picture fades. And the picture fades out, so you you just hear the music, and the music crescendos right as the music credits appear, I guess, which is, which is really nice. Because I know when they do opening credits and they say music by, I'm immediately thinking of whatever music is playing at that moment. So it was pretty neat to do that here right at the end. So nostalgia is a really weird feeling, I will say. Even when it's something you've never seen before, and I had that written down, is it gave me all the feelings of being nostalgic without ever having actually seen the thing before. It it just hit every fucking nail on the head. It was incredibly good. And I gotta give credit to Ty West, who wrote the film, directed the film, and edited the film. Like, this is obviously his baby. If we're talking auteur theory here, he had a lot of control over this. So, good for him. He also is responsible for... VHS uh, and a few other movies that which I, I am not a of. fan of. I'm not a fan of VHS. So. He directed a few episodes of the Scream TV series, one episode of the Scream TV series, two episodes of Wayward Pines, and one episode of the Exorcist TV series. He also did uh, a segment in the ABCs of Death. Uh, he did Cabin Fever Two. And that's about it. Like, he doesn't have a lot of credits to his name, but there are obviously some horror stuff there. I hope he does more because he did a really, really amazing job with this. Speaking to those TV shows that Chris just mentioned, I've seen the first season of Wayward Pines. It's fine. It falls apart in the second season. It really does. Yeah. I've seen some of the Scream TV series, which from what I saw was actually quite good. Yeah. Yeah. I hear The Exorcist was good, too. I've heard that. I have mm -hmm. not seen the TV show version of The Exorcist. No. So, Kelsey, hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think? What's your guess? I would guess, just because I, I already know that a bunch of people have said how boring it is, 77. 86. Nice! Yes, 86. So, overrated or underrated? I'd say it's right it's right par for the course. I right. It's good. I'd say, yeah, dead on. I mean, 85 feels a little low, but 87 feels a little high, so <laughs> it's just right. Yeah. 86. Good. Great. So, Kelsey, that's it for this episode of Pod Cemetery. What are we watching next time? Next time, we are watching The Brood and Trick or Treat. I'm really excited for that. It's not landing anywhere near Halloween. Well, but let's be clear. This is being recorded way before it's ever yes. going to come out. So we're going to watch it on Halloween. We're watching it on Halloween. Yes. So for us, it's right on time. <laughs> Sorry for you guys. We'll try to time this better. We just launched in October of this year. So next year we'll have it timed out a little bit better, I think. So The Brood and Trick or Treat. Mm -hmm. Are you excited for those? I'm very excited. Neither of us 
have ever seen the brood. No. And what's the connection between the two that you drew? Evil children. Oh, that gives me a little hint into what the brood is about. Well, I know brood. Children. I know I know nothing about it. See, I'd know brood from like the the term and uh there's a wrestling brood. Wait, and... there's another meaning for the word brood? Yeah, brood is like family. Yeah, your kids. Yeah, but it's also an evil term. Is it? Yeah, there's something inherently evil about it. Is it? Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Well, why do you think it's so easy to say the brood and then you have a it's horror about movie? Evil children. Yes, a <laughs> horror movie. It could just say children. <laughs> anyway, so that's this episode of Pod Cemetery. As always, please rate, comment, subscribe, share with everyone you know. Until next time, I am Chris. I am Kelsey. And as we say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery, don't forget the number for the pizza on the fridge. All right, can you talk out loud to the mic? I'm moving it closer to you. Yes, I can talk. Okay, cool. Welcome to Pod Cemetery. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. How did I? How do I start this show again? I totally forget how I start the show. <laughs>